0: Shalom, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, the President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing cutting-edge ideas and innovative and pluralistic Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and the world. Please visit www.ValleyBaitMidrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program.
1: So today we are going to talk about prayer actually a subject that some of us have a lot of uh, difficulty uh, relating to, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. We'll learn a little bit, and then we'll talk, and then we'll learn a little more. And many of us who go to shul, you know, we go, we sort of, we don't really connect to all the words, but we sort of, okay, should we say them? Shouldn't we say them? We know they must say more than just that. There's times that we say, okay, that's it. I can't go to shul anymore. I have such deep religious needs, but, and I should quote my father, Zichron Oli Racha, used to say, one of the real problems now is that they've translated the Sidur into English. And so people actually know what they're saying and oh, this is not good. So what, you know, do we have to mean the words that we pray? What does it mean when they don't, aren't meaningful to us anymore? where is our voice, how do we, you know, there's many, many sidurim, now every, you know, there's just lots of sidurim all over, but, and people are trying to create new sidurim, is that the answer, or is that an answer, and um, I've been involved in, uh, in starting a shul, and I come from traditional Judaism, where we didn't change anything in the Sidur that was not even a, that was not even a, anything. And as, a, as someone who teaches um, feminism and gender studies, you know, when we do some kind of analysis, it's sort of like, we don't really hear ourselves in this Siddur here, there's a lot of male associations, there's a lot of male, you know, God is the king, God is the, what does that mean? I mean, if the God is the king, then who's the God that I'm always praying to? And if it's the fathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then, well, that's nice. I mean, I have nothing against fathers at all, God forbid. But where is the where are our models? Where are my models? Do they have to be there for it to be meaningful to me or not? And what do I do in, in that situation? Now, What I would like to do this morning is to introduce the idea that we're not new in asking that question. Very often I have found that, and it's been helpful for me, not necessarily the solution, but it's been helpful when I teach or when I think about things and to say, did anybody else ask this question before me? And how did they relate to this question? Or am I an inheritor of a tradition that just, you know, was everybody was, you know, walking in like, you know, just this kind of like soldiers and nobody changed. Everybody said amen, 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 and that was it. And today in postmodernism and we're asked about meaning and multiple identities, did we make up this question? Well, it doesn't mean anything. So what I do want to show today or to share with you more today is that this question was a question that affected the rabbis who made up prayer, who wrote the textbooks. This question of meaning and what do we do is something that uh, touched them. They wrote about it a lot. And I brought two different examples because I wanted to bring something of the rabbis from the Talmud and then something from a medieval philosopher, Maimonides. Who somehow touched on it in another way as well. So I would like us to read these together, and um, and then we'll wait. We'll do for questions. Are you all with me? Mm -hmm. We're starting. Okay, great. Now I would rather somebody else. Shmuley, will you read, or um, why are the men Lamanikushman and Cheknestagdula? Why were they called the men of the great assembly? Oh,
0: I'm sorry.
1: Six you know on sixty nine B3. The
2: page
0: over. Turn the page over. Okay. Yeah, and then where, where oh, the oh I'm sorry, okay.
1: Lama why were they why were they called the men of the Great Assembly? We're gonna start it, and that, that will be what we're gonna learn. So it was called the um, like the Supreme Court, let's say, of the it's on 69. Do you see it? Yeah. It's on the right.
3: Okay, so so uh, The, the okay.
1: question is, why were they called, they were called me, the men of the great assembly? And the question is, why were they called great? What was great about them? What was great about them? That's, a, I think that's a pretty, you know, it's already, you see how the rabbis had total chutzpah, right? There was no such thing oh, There's someone came before me and we just go, amen. Men of the Great Assembly, they're asking, what was so great about them? Like, that's a, like an instinctive question. Somebody calls himself, I'm, I'm a member of the Great Great. Who are you? What are you? Why was it called Great? And let's listen to how this story develops.
0: Okay. The English is fine. I oh. think we
1: can... Uh, are you all okay if we just go straight to the English?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, why were they called the men of the Great Assembly? Because they restored the crown of God's glory... To its original luster. How so? Originally Moses came and said, the great, powerful, and awesome God.
1: Okay, and that's something that we dove in often. Hael Agadol va Norah. This was a prayer that Moses came up with. And it's and, and I mean it was Moses who said those words. And so therefore it's associated with the prophet Moses. Okay.
0: Then came Jeremiah and said, behold, strangers are croaking in his sanctuary. Where are the displays of his awesomeness? He therefore did not mention awesome in his prayer. Then came Daniel and said, behold, strangers are enslaving his children, the Jewish nation. I want to be closer to the mic. These 70 years of the Babylonian exile, right? Where are the displays of his power? Keep going? Yeah. He therefore did not say powerful in his prayer. But then they, the men of the great assembly, came and said, on the contrary, this is his magnificent display of strength.
1: Okay, now we'll wait for his answer, the answer in a second. What just, yeah. Okay, then we'll wait for a second. Oh, okay. So in other words, our prophets, the later prophets, inherited the prayer of Moses, right? Moses david, Ha'el agadola giborva v'anora. And then all of a sudden, we're in a historical time of the destruction of the temple. And guess what they're saying? I don't see God's greatness here. The Jewish people are really, really suffering. How can I continue saying great? How can I continue saying Awesome. I don't see it. History and reality do not reflect the words that I'm supposed to be davening. I'm just gonna try to find for you the, here you go. Here you go, sure. In other words, my reality, the reality in which I live in does not match the words that I inherited. And so, we see two prophets. Now, what is this is considered, you know, chutzpah big time, because in the tradition, you know, as they always say, what's the original sin of the Jewish people? Is if you're born late, right? Anybody who's, you know, everybody, you know, if you're born first, then you're. So anybody who's born later is always a problem. So these prophets. Come after the time of Moses. So, given the hierarchy of who is who was born first and who prophesied first, they are not allowed to change anything that the great Moses did. But look, they each took out something from the prayer. That real that made them feel that had that element of crazy making. They took out a part when we talk about the attributes of God. What do you mean he's great? Look what's happening to the Jewish people now. There is total destruction. The temple where he was supposed to reside in is in uh, is in total. The, the people are enslaved, and you and we're supposed to dive in. The we're supposed to say. Ha'el gadola Giborva v'anora. Hi, welcome here. Thank you. Sure. So that's the, that is at first the description. We have a situation where two prophets felt whether Moses came a lot before him when he was the greatest of prophets and that they, they didn't say certain words. So now we'll go back to the text. And so now that we're going to say, so what is this connected to the men of the great assembly? Why are they great?
0: Okay, On now. the contrary, this is his magnificent display of strength. For he restrains his will all these years that his people are subjugated and that he allows a long-suffering countenance to the wicked by not punishing them despite the numerous oppressions the decree against his people. And these are indeed the great displays of his awesomeness. Because if, you, if not for the awe of the nations for the Holy One, blessed is he, how could one solitary nation survive among the 70 nations of the world? The men of the Great Assembly, therefore, reinstated mention of these attributes in their prayer.
1: Okay, so what, how do you hear what these men of the Great Assembly did?
2: To what it was.
1: But what did they do when they took it back?
2: Justified it.
1: In what way?
2: Well, they're saying, okay, God's like hanging out doing his thing. <laughs> and um, it's all good. It's still
3: <laughs> Okay. It's
2: hard to
3: accept that he, he's showing a long-suffering countenance to evil. And you can say that about the Holocaust too and about six.
1: It doesn't feel feel right. But let's first try to get what they're saying and then we will critique them because it doesn't... You want to let (laughs) go? So what what did they do? What was their project? And according to why were they called great? So what they did is they reinstituted the traditional words of prayer and by doing so, but what else did they do? They didn't just say, they didn't just go, what chutzpah, we're bringing it back in, that's it. They tried to explain it. And what are they trying to explain?
3: I mean, there's another. Yeah. The, the historical view, looking at the long view and the resolution has
1: not come yet. Okay. Okay, what else? anybody else want to think about that? Yeah?
3: They're also kind of seeing that the positive side that the... We've survived, so it's awesome.
1: Uh-huh. Despite all these terrible things. Uh-huh. Okay. Does it, anybody else want to try?
0: They've kind of remade their theology. They've kind of reconstructed the role of God in the world. Yeah.
1: yeah. They reconstruct... and it, And so what... First, what they're doing is they're giving old things new meanings. I think that's one of the things that... You know, let's keep the structure... And let's give it new meanings. Now, it's sort of, this is an extreme case because it's really hard to look that he's great. Why is he so great? Because he didn't interfere. <laughs> That's, it's really, they're pushing it to that almost impossible, impossible place. It's this kind of thing, right? Like, what do you mean he's great? He's great because he's, he, he's not doing anything? But this is how they interpret it. In other words, what they're saying is, we are reinstituting the traditional words, but we know that we have to give them new meaning. We cannot, no, we can no longer just say, oh, great, and as if we all know what that means. You know, usually there's not that many meanings, and it's very rare to see that great is almost the opposite of great. But they give it new meaning, and they decided they restored this great, the crown of Moses. In other words, they restored traditional prayer by saying that the words that we are saying can have multiple meanings, okay? Okay. And therefore, why is it the, just... Uh, um, because, I mean, in a way, we were
3: told to expect this from the get-go, and now it's happening, so why is this shaking our foundation?
1: I think that it, what, but what the prophets were saying is that it is shaking our foundation because we don't see the greatness of God. And they're actually saying, I mean, they're really calling it to the base, the very, you know, the very nature of the rea- of reality. And that is that they're saying, we don't see it, so we can't say it. But and, but yet Moses, but, okay, I'm sorry.
3: No, 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 I was going to say, we're attached to these words. Okay. And it's finding a new reality for that attachment. And how do we keep
1: that foundation alive mm-hmm. and making it real for us? Yeah, yeah. And that's a lot... You know, and that is, that happens all the time, you know, in, in modernity when we're saying, okay, do we, when we say the Lord is our king, what does our king mean? What does kingship mean? Now, I wrote a whole chapter on that. If any of you are interested, I'll send you the chapter. Just write, write it to me. And I would say it was one of my last chances on holding on to the traditional C Door. I tried. I do have to say, you gotta give me credit. I really worked hard. And it's actually sometimes can even sound intelligent. And I'm gonna tell it to you now on five minutes, and then you could decide if you agree or you don't agree. Okay. What I tried to say when I was holding on to really to not changing the words as like like that I was holding on, I started to take my secular education seriously. You know, Marx and Feuerbach, who, when they speak about God, what they say, who is God? Do any of you, or it doesn't matter. (laughs) We create God in our image. Now, what does that mean? I was trying to think. And that is that when we say the Lord is king, We understand kingship by how? By what we think kingships are, and then we project it onto God. So when we talk about the male power, we immediately assume women don't belong. Mm -hmm. But we all know from feminist theory that whenever, like my work, my first work is on maternal, the maternal voice, et cetera, maternal voice is not just mummies, it's mummies and abbas and fathers. So the idea is that how do when we use the term king, do we assume that the majority of the people in this room who are women do not have a place and cannot find any bit of them in that, in that term? So that really what I thought keeping the term kingship, and a part of me still gets convinced sometimes, but I fight with myself in that, and I just sharing, because I'm trying to be honest and not stocking you with any, anything like that, is that it's too easy, I said, just to add kings and queens. We could do that. It's not such a big deal, but we could do that. But then what we're doing is we are keeping gender relations the way they are now. But if we want to change what kingship means, we have to first do our homework here, so that when we see Fathers, mother, the maternal voice, the paternal voice, kings, we don't assume immediately that women, the care voice, if you want to use the care versus the justice voice, have no place in that. So that if we're creating God in our image, if we're creating God in the image of what we understand, kings, and we right away say they're discussing, they're, they're patriarchal, they don't listen to other voices, we don't have a place, that's because we're mirroring, Something that is a society that really um, has not been redeemed yet. But when we use the word king, and actually many of us have shifted, what are gender relationships? What does it mean? So when we use the word king, we don't immediately think that we are no longer represented. I'd say it's a pretty good attempt. If it makes sense, take it. (laughs) I go back and forth. I'm telling you the truth. I go back and forth on that. I do believe that it's... I, there is something that I can say very clearly, though, that I do believe by adding Queens, we did not solve our society yet. That's what I... I believe that too many times uh, other movements, and I'm not, you know, whatever they are, reform, conservative, whatever parts of or other places, even in the big world, not just in the Jewish world, think that if you just add these other words, we've cre- changed society. And that is too easy. And I don't buy it, because they, we didn't. Now, we, we could say it's the condition to change society that we have to change our language. And that could very well be as well. But I do know, as someone who's studied gender studies many years and who's, you know gone between orthodoxy and then the academy and different attempts try to stay with both, sometimes more successfully, sometimes less successful. That our communities are not healed by adding words, and the real work, and the real work of what feminism means, and that is that feminism is about the invisibility of women. Then it's really about invisibility, period so that when we just have women, we hear that we have certain voices, but we have not changed the structures of our community about the whole notion of invisibility, we haven't done it yet. I'm not saying you should keep the words up, but I'm just saying that there, that part I knew about <coughs> too much. I worked too much out in the field in all kinds of ways in places when they added something, and then they, everybody felt so amazing, <coughs> say, Squeeze me? It's not that amazing. Now you had something to say, I'm sorry. So over time we we
4: tried out other words, sorry, The sovereign and the one each other. Is that taking okay? is, is, is it giving us a different concept instead of always being a masculine?
1: Woman? That's exactly my question. So we changed it to the sovereign. Mm-hmm. In what ways have the communities who used the word the sovereign changed the relationship to invisibility in their communities? Some we can say they did, and some we can say they didn't. It's not, it does it certainly, if you did it, it doesn't mean that you would not change, but it could be that it's the first, you know, it's the first attempt. But I don't know. Uh, and honestly, that is our question. I think that's our question about prayer and about religious life. So we spent this time changing the words. It could be that it's the necessary condition but it's not enough. It could be It could be that it was an easy way out. I don't think it, I don't think people did it because it was easy. I don't think that was why they added. I think There was a really a sense we can't say these words. Let's really try to think and come up with words that are more meaningful, that, that do something for us. But I, I honestly am asking that question. We changed to the sovereign. In what way did it change gender relations in the communities? Maybe yes, maybe no. In what ways did it bring more justice in our communities? And maybe we, You know, how often do we daven with the term the sovereign? Maybe we have, lots of people have to use that word. It's just, it's a question that I'm asking. Yes.
2: I get real frustrated because language is so (coughs) limiting, right? And when we're talking about um, God who created everything by saying things, but... Our language is very limited when it comes to, to talking of to and about God and I think you have to really get find your own personal connection. I can use Melech and I don't, I have no gender issues because I know God is beyond gender. Right. So but, but when God is beyond is gender but
1: it still is the language of malehood, <laughs> so then it, you know, it's that both sides it's a tradition it, that you yeah know, and it's, it's a prayer book. And uh, right. it has but we do see here already an example of prophets. You know, they're pretty high up there in the, in whatever we want to say in that hierarchy of this, and they really, they couldn't, they literally couldn't. And again, what I, what I love so much about when I study Talmud is that they don't try to hide it, it's there. It's not something I have to say, oh, really? Am I the first one who took out the prophets? Just said, listen guys, this historical social reality is really not amazing. I cannot pray to God and also call him great. I can do other things, but the great and the awesome one, it just is not working for me. And so comes the men of the great assembly and what the idea of the Talmud here is saying, they are great because they were able to keep with traditional terms and imbue them with new meaning, and according to the Gemara then and the Talmud, that is why they were great. So it, at first, we it seems like that the Talmud is sort of, sort of leaning towards the idea we shouldn't change, and let's try to recreate meaning from traditional words. But then there's still Left with a question, Shmuley, can you finish? Yeah. Now, now the rabbis. Yep.
0: Now the rabbis Jeremiah and Daniel, each of whom omitted one of the attributes stated by Moses in his prayer. How did they act thus and abolish the institution that Moses instituted? So
1: you know. So now they say, okay, the ansheknes tagdola are you know the gadola. They're great because they brought in new meaning. But well, we're still left with the question. How did those prophets have the chutzpah to, to take away the great prophets' prayer? I mean, it, according to every, you're not allowed to do that. So what is they, so we're still left with that uncomfortable feeling, okay, they're great because they gave new meaning. Okay, that's nice. But then what, what about these prophets? Okay, and this.
0: Rav Elazar said, because they knew about the Holy One, blessed is he, that he is truthful and despises falsehood. Sounds like a good uh, title of a book. <laughs> they therefore would not speak falsehood to him. No, I'm saying that because her, her,
1: her... My I mean, father. The father has a...
0: Has a, a book. His last book was The God, the God Who his Hates Lies. Lies. So.
1: so this, yes, I do. This is something that I studied with him for many, many times. Now, this is something that was very moving to my father." and to, to all of us that he taught. So they did call on Sheik Nestagdullah they're the greats, but they still had a question. And then what do they answer? These prophets knew something in their intimate life with God that he didn't want them to lie. That's a pretty uh, radical... Um, I think very beautiful statement that these and we have this kind of dance then in this section because on the one hand it starts why are they called the men of the Great Assembly they explain why they were great because they gave new meaning to traditional words that seem to be meaningless to those of us who live in reality and would like our prayer to have some reflection of reality. Oh, but they're really great because they give it a new meaning. But then, but then, they still are keeping these other prophets alive and what they thought about. And they asked, "Well, then, how did they have the chutzpah to change?" And they said, "Well, they know something else. They know that God does not want them to lie." God's not interested in our falsehoods. So in the same section where we have that the they are great because they were able to keep traditional Judaism alive by giving it new meaning, in that same section we have that other voice that says, God doesn't want our lies. This is what I mean sometimes when I use the term, how do we listen to our tradition in stereo. That the, and it's not that only that the, I'm not saying that the tradition speaks in multiple voices, equal multiple voices, less equal, I don't know what's louder and what's softer. I don't know. What I like to teach standing at Sinai is that there's a lot of these voices coming out and we're gonna have to you know, work with the volume, which ones for us we want to in turn are louder for us and make sense for, uh, for us. Now, what is interesting, and I think it's very important, is that these people who changed were prophets in the sense that these were really great people, you know, by Jewish standards. These are people who knew that supposedly prophesized the time of redemption, like they suppose, but there was something in their existential reality that didn't allow them to lie Their religious, the core of their religious life was their knowledge that God did not want them to lie. And that these two voices, these two really quite powerful, because at first it really seems that the Talmud is, these are the great, these are the greats. They brought back Moses' prayer. But they end that sugya of the greats with God doesn't want our lies. They had, they knew that. And what I love is that it wasn't something they got in a tradition because all of the traditions say that Moses, you cannot change anything from a prophet before you. But they're talking about something that they knew. And I think all of us at different times, we know something. How are we going to say how do we know it? We almost can't articulate it. But it's something we know so much, so well about something that we can't, as you said, it's so hard sometimes to articulate certain things that we know, that we feel. And this is something, they knew something in the Zell. And that, and that knowledge trumped the tradition of never changing something that the prophet before you knew. And the Talmud gave it its place of honor. And that, I, that is what I, I feel is a very, it's basically telling us all, like, you know, however, whatever your voice is you're going to hear louder, you will. And different communities will build their Prayer communities around different voices, and and often we try to sort of we try to keep a little of this and a little of that. But I think that one of the problems, um, and here again I'm going to quote my father. I don't like to say anything that in my name if I learned it with him. And that was, he used to say sometimes in the reform movement, he used to ask the rabbis of the reform movement and the conservative, okay, so you made all these changes now in the prayer books to make this, and now you believe everything else there? <laughs> everything else now makes sense? So there was this, but I think that it's, this is what the notion of prayer is, is that we come, wake up in the morning every day, and we try to, our, our experience of what the world is comes and meets these words and every day we meet them differently and that's what that is what we keep alive in prayer and I think that why it's so important and I think it's one of the things that shuls do very well is that we try to balance between the prayers that we say together and that we want everybody to repeat because this is what creates communion and that we give time for people to say you know this these this is not for me this really I can't do. And I think keeping that alive, that idea that we speak in a community in a public voice, but we have to allow those times that were very quiet, and for someone to struggle and find these other words or these other, or take away the words that they need to take away. I
3: think it'll be interesting to see what happens to the next generations. That once we've changed sovereign or to whatever and, and so many times in the studio room the English does not balance <laughs> no, so you're like like all over the place no I know it's fair. And so you know it's like what are we teaching so but I think it's going to be interesting just in terms of society how we have grown uh, with our own voices and yep. the voices we, we want to hear what will happen for the next generation
1: and they're going to say well this doesn't make sense yeah, and this right. does and you know and it's a constant conversation but I think then what Part of then of teaching about prayer is not only then to teach which words, you know, you know this changed to that, but how can we stay honest as we come to our religious communities? Is there a place for me who certain things don't make sense? And I think this text is pushing us to say, These, you, you have a place. You have to have a place. And that You don't all have to have, listen to the same religious music because there's different things are going to touch different things. And some people, and even there, one couldn't say awesome, one couldn't say great. I mean, it's also this, for them, this word just, that's it, I can't. And so it's like, you know, there's going to be, and how do we do that? How do we create religious community around these kinds of differences? And do we all have to say the same all the time? These are very interesting and serious. um, And it would bring me also then to the, one of the few halachot, the laws about building a synagogue, there are very few laws about what needs to be and not needs to be in the synagogue. But one of them that is, and I th- find it very beautiful, is that um, we have to build a synagogue, there has to be a window. Mm-hmm. And that's that to me is that the outside has to be able to, inside, and the person inside has to be able to, has to be able to see, has to be able to bring that place of him. That it's not like, you know, we're in this hermetically closed place and we carry on with our tradition and then we hop outside and we do whatever we need to do. But that whatever is happening outside has to have some reflection on what is going on in our shuls.
0: Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. I certainly am. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.ValleyBetMidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning.
1: But it also is about the relationship to converts in Jewish tradition, and it's about, as well, the, um, the relationship to prayer, and can I say what I don't believe in, And what are the parts that this person doesn't believe in? So this is a letter that the Rambam is Maimonides is answering to a convert. This convert is very well known in other places you couldn't. And he is a, he is the chazit. He, He is the cantor. He leads the community in prayer. And he asks the Rambam certain things about his prayer experience. So Let's hear what it is that he asked, and what is the Rambam answering, and what do we think then about it? Who's, who can begin to read? Can you read? Yeah.
4: This is Moses, the son of Rabbi Menon, one of the exiles from Jerusalem who lived in Spain. I received the question of the master Obadiah, the wise and learned proselyte. May the Lord reward him for his work. May a perfect recompense be bestowed upon him by the Lord of Israel, under whose wings he sought shelter. You ask me if you too are allowed to say in the blessings and prayers you offer alone or in the congregation, "Our God and God of our fathers, you who have sanctified us through your commandments, you who have separated us, you who have chosen us, you who have inherited us, you who have brought us out of the land of Egypt, you who have worked miracles to our fathers, to our fathers, and more of this
1: kind." Okay, what is what is what are the what is common in all these questions and all these? In all these verses? It's
4: like identifying these things that God has done.
1: But has gone to, done to whom?
4: To Jewish people. To,
1: to, to the Jewish people. To our, so can I, who is I? Me, the person who is converting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I say the Lord of our fathers When? When? It doesn't match my reality. Mm-hmm. I'm having a problem saying these terms because our fathers, there were other ones. What do I do? Do I say these prayers or don't I? So the first thing that I would like us to note again is that these. Are you? Are any of you also like dying of the heat here? Or is it just me? What? Or am I just getting in that? Am I the only one? Just I just was wondering if I'm the only get talking, it gets a
2: little... I beg
1: your pardon? Okay.
3: <laughs>
1: so, um, what is very important for me, or when I learned this, is again, how to, the, where is the place of our questions? Maimonides is responding to a question, which means, do I say, can I say, I don't feel like I belong. In fact, my parents are not somebody else's parents. I I like that even more, and this is for maybe another time when I come back, and that is because for me, who worked with different people who converted, what was very important for me always was that your parents are your parents. You must bring your parents with you wherever you are. And it's not that... Okay, my parents aren't Jewish, so therefore they're not my parents? And there's some halachot that seem to push in that direction. I always found them obscene and I'm always happy when I can find that other people also share this with me. What is that? And I do want to say, like in our shul, I there are different people who convert, and in Jewish tradition, in some shuls or in some traditions, that you don't you when you go have an aliyah, you don't say that you're but Frederica, but you're only, you're but Sarah, or but Avraham. In our shul, I f- did not allow that. soon as you
3: should say
1: that. Well, it's besides the fact that everybody knows, but in, in the shuls, because it's Avraham, it's not so much, but Avraham and Sarah, it's mm-hmm. pretty much, but besides that, and you're not allowed to remind some, but besides that, there was, it was a positive value. Your mother, Frederica, is the reason you're here. So your mother, Frederica, is coming up and having an aliyah with you, not just Sarah. She is there because you are who you are by being her daughter. And so that whole erasure of where we come from, I never liked that at all. But what I found compelling then in the Rambam is that that this person's experience of the words, our father's, he doesn't feel it. Now he may not feel it because the people in, the, in his community were disgusting and said, you, you are not one of us. It could have been in response to a crappy way of relating to converts. It could be, but it also could be a sense of, okay, what is this? Somebody is feeling that he is not, he does not share the same history as another person. And, in fact, he didn't. Now, how do I in prayer say it? Now, what's very interesting is that it's saying, if I don't relate to something, I have to ask about it. It's being that, really being very strict in the meaning of those words. Our fathers, I don't feel it. You've asked about all those sections that a person is not feeling that he belongs and we could have a, a, many conversations and we could look at it in other places of what does it mean you belong or you don't belong. But let's just leave it here at, as, we've, as we're reading it. Someone saying there's something off in the way I'm davening. Yes?
3: But by saying it, he's not saying I deny who my, my mother was, mm-hmm. I'm accepting another parent as well.
1: Yes, and that could be, and that could be. At the question, then, is, is like when I said in shuls, when you say, who are you the daughter of, and you don't bring your parents there, that's the question. It could be that you can say, then, in shul, I only bring these parents. I bring Avram and Sarah. And in other places, I bring my other parents. And I appreciate, then, that comment that you're saying, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're erasing.
3: Denying, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. okay, okay, no, no, I hear, I hear that, it's a, I, I appreciate that, that it really could. Okay, let's continue reading.
4: Yes, you may say all this in the prescribed order and not change it in the least. It is the same way as every Jew by birth says his blessing and prayer, you too shall bless and pray alike, whether you are alone or pray in the congregation. The reason for this is that Abraham, our father, taught the people, opened their minds and revealed to them the true faith and the unity of God. He rejected the idols and abolished their adoration. He brought many children under the wings of the divine presence. He gave them counsel and advice and ordered his sons and the members of his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord forever. As it is written, for I have known him to the end that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. Ever since then, whoever adopts Judaism and confesses the unity of the divine name as it is prescribed in the Torah, is counted among the disciples of Abraham our father, peace be with him. These men are Abraham's household, and he it is who converted them to righteousness.
1: Okay, we'll read a little bit more. Yeah, in the-
4: In the same way as he converted his contemporaries through his words and teaching, he converts future generations through the testament he left to his children and household after him. Thus Abraham our father, peace be with him, is the father of his pious posterity who keeps his ways, and
1: the father of his disciples and all of
4: them, and of all the proselytes. Who adopt
1: okay, so here we develop, and I think this goes in 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 the spirit of what you were saying, is that he's saying that Abraham here, and paternal, our paternal can add our maternal, are not is not biology, it's not genetics, it's not blood. You belong to the Jewish people, and thus to the Jewish history by ideas, by a connecting to a value. And so in that sense, when we talk about, you know, is it a race religion or a not a race religion? And there was a real argument in the Middle Ages, whether, I mean, the typical disagreement was the Yehuda Halevi as opposed to the Rambam here. But that was that to be a Jew is to believe in certain principles and you belong to the Jewish family and to the Jewish ancestry by believing in certain things so that you are part of the history. You are, there is no difference between people because what unites this peoplehood called the Jews is is a set of beliefs and not Any genetic base, it's that we all, this is our God and the rejection of idolatry, which means to most then rejection of immoral, of immoral behavior. I mean, that was what idolatry was always thought of. It wasn't just there's an aisle and you go like this and like, it was really what happens when we bring idolatry back. And so that sense is that you are like everybody and therefore you Yes, the, our, our fathers, our, yes, you are part of that historical family because you believe in that historical, and those historical truths. But yes. then
2: we can all be called up to Torah as Ba'at or Ben, Abraham, and
1: that's, I. We could do that, and that might be not a... <laughs> and
2: then that doesn't matter. We could no do long.
1: it, yeah. I like bringing, I think it's great to bring up, your parents, their biological parents, and whoever else you decide you want to take on along the way. But the, um, okay, so now let's just continue a little bit more. Can you? Okay, yeah. Um,
4: therefore, you shall pray our God. So
1: up to now, what he's saying to Ovadia is do not change prayer. I understand your question. What do I do if I do not feel a part? You are a part. Okay? Yeah?
4: As to the words, you who have brought us out of the land of Egypt, or you who have done miracles to our fathers, these you may change, if you will, and say, you who have brought Israel out of the land of Egypt and you who have done miracles to Israel. If, however, you do not change them, it is no transgression, because you have, since you have come under the wings of the divine presence and confessed the Lord, no difference exists between you and us, and all miracles done to us have been done as as it were to us and to you. Thus it is said in the book of Isaiah, Never, neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. There is no difference whatever, between you and us.
1: Okay, so he goes over it and over it and over it, and it's a very, okay.
4: Um, You shall certainly say the blessing, who has chosen us, who has given us, who have taken us for your own, and who has separated us. For the Creator, may he be extolled, has indeed chosen you and separated you from the nations and given you the Torah. For the Torah has been given to us and to the proselytes, as it is said. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourns with you, an ordinance forever in your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. Know that our fathers, when they came out of Egypt...
1: And this is the cute part of Maimonides. In case anybody's thinking, oh, our ancestors were so as like, you know what? We're all part of the same drek, yeah.
4: Know that our fathers, when they came out of Egypt, were mostly idolaters. They had mingled with the pagans in Egypt and imitated their way of life. So right. the Holy One may sent Moses, our teacher, the master of all prophets, who separated us from the nations and brought us under the wings of the divine presence. Um, Us and all proselytes and gave to all of us one law. Okay. Do not consider your origin as inferior. While we are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you derive from
1: him... This is one of the most beautiful sections as well, like that
4: As it is said, as is said by Isaiah, one shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name
1: of God. Okay, so I want to, to ask you here, do you hear a doubling of voice that sort of mirrors a little bit what we study in the Talmud? Is there, is it different, in what way is it different? I would like to put it out there.
3: I'm not saying as an individual I'm having this problem. Um, as an individual within the context of a congregation, I'm
0: having this
1: problem. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Anybody else? Hi. Would anybody else like to? Can
3: you reframe
1: the question? I'm not sure I understand. No, I'm saying in what way, how do you hear Maimonides as being similar or not similar to what we learned in the Talmud? on the other side in terms of is there, are there two different voices in Maimonides? Is it one, is there room for subjective experience? Do we, does he say since you're all Jews, there isn't room for subjective experience? Okay, Okay, so I I would like to just go over it in what we saw in Maimonides is somebody's asking a question. And it was an important enough question that the Rambam that Maimonides felt he needs to write a letter for every to read it. It wasn't just that, it wasn't a little like, it wasn't that dyad, that it was really, and you could see in his answer, that he was using this example to say something that he believed in. So... We see that the subjective experience of someone is feeling a little uneasy about the words that he's saying. Again, I don't know, this something here may not be really reflecting my complete reality, or he may also be asking, I would like it to be, but I just don't know if it is. It could be many things, but the question is, I'm saying words and I'm not just supposed to do, just like go like this, but I'm supposed to say things that actually reflect me. So the Rambam answers at the beginning, basically, and he goes back and forth by saying you are equal to everybody else and goes back and forth telling him that. Because then what might happen is if I don't experience myself as part of the history of the Jewish people, then I don't know how to, Be connected to the Jewish people. I may believe in God, I may believe in certain things, but there's something about the history that I don't know how to relate to as mine. So through prayer, Maimonides responds to many existential questions that converts and other people are feeling. You know, we have this liturgy, it's supposed to, you know, everybody says it, and then this is, but what is off? And what could be off in this liturgy, and that is that I, I have joined, but I don't have the same history. I, I joined in the present. So the Rambam tries to answer, I think, in multiple levels and continuously goes back and forth between there is no difference. You are us, and you can say it, and you sh- can say it in, without, and that's the given. Even if you don't, don't feel complete, or, and in fact, this is, wasn't your parent, you are us. Conversion changes history. Conversion changes genetics. That's the given. But if you don't feel it, even, let's make the distinction between the belief system, between the patriarchs, the you know, I, you know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what they meant, what kind of Judaism they created, and the reality of Jewish history and events that you may not have experienced, that you may not feel. So that's the, that, and he goes back and forth, and, but he continues that to say, but you belong to Abram. And then he goes even more and says, really, you belong to me. You're my child. You know, those who have the genetic parents, you know, were just born into it, so they have the genes. But you who chose stand above everybody and you belong to God. And in the process, you will make your choice about what prayers you will say, what parts of the prayers you won't say. In other words, there's a lot of freedom which is very interesting, that is said by someone like Maimonides, who really, who codified the laws, and he really had, you know, everything pretty down pat to what one says and what one doesn't say, but he, you know, he says, you know what? You're going to have to decide. And I think that that idea, is, it, the question is, do I, is it meaningful for me or not? That is the question. It's not that he says... You know, he gives him all the, he gives him, there's no difference, you're us, all of the answers, but is, may, is also aware that it could be that that person still may not feel it. It
3: might be a, a transitional thing with say, Israel now and us later.
1: You know, it could be many, many different things exactly. But the only thing I know is that if I don't can't do it, I won't do it. And that 's for someone who codified the Jewish law to such an extent, I think it's pretty I, I think it 's pretty radical or it 's pretty amazing or it 's actually saying that prayer is a time that we pray as a community, we pray together and all that, but prayer is also a time when we have to be truthful, and if we don 't feel it, then we have a few examples of our path that we can see, you know something, there were some people who said this as well. It's not that they have to give us legitimacy. I don't mean that at all. I don't feel that, oh, our subjective experience only makes sense if the subjective experience of someone at the time of the Maimonides had the same one. I don't mean that, but I mean how we go about listening and learning, Connect. we can connect our questions today, our postmodern questions of meaning, multiple identities, to a situation that we actually, a few people, thought about it before. And we can engage with them in a conversation. So I would like to stop here. And I want to thank you for coming out in the afternoon. And it was really nice to think together about
0: it. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you've just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmadrash.org and donating to Valley Beit Midrash to support the expansion of meaningful Jewish education. Thank you so much for listening.